Welcome to the Super Jump Podcast. I'm Mitchell Wolf, and I'm here with editor-in-chief of Super Jump, my forever co-host, James Burns. James, what's going on? Not much. I'm just thinking about the implications of being your forever co-host. That forever's a long time. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I'm, I haven't thought about, like, when the Super Jump Podcast will end, but I, I suppose <laughs> it needs to at some point. Probably when we die. Pro- yeah, I guess that's... Uh... <laughs> that's true maybe the super jump podcast never ends and when one of us dies we need to be replaced by by someone else <laughs> who would you replace yourself on the super jump podcast oh uh, well <laughs> i don't know if any you could aussie, pick from any, anyone any aussie will do we're all the same mitchell so <laughs> it's okay <laughs> i think we can, i you... would i would go for i would i would go a little left field i would go for uh Aubrey Plaza. Oh, that would be awesome. Yeah. Wait, I, no, sorry. <laughs> if we could get Aubrey Plaza. Uh, yeah, no. she could probably just have my position. I'll, I'll just walk away. Uh, she'd be better at it. I mean, Damn, I, I don't know how much I, she knows about video games, but I assume she would just be better at it. Does she need to know anything about video games at this point? <laughs> no, I, do, I mean, I really don't. I pretend to. I, I have a good speaking voice so I can feel like I know what I'm talking about. But really, who knows what they're talking about? Um, as you've gathered, this is an Aubrey Plaza fan cast. But uh, yeah. this week, we're going to talk about video games. Uh, if you've listened to us in the past and you like us and you uh, want to hear us some more, remember to subscribe if you're not already and follow us on social media where appropriate. Uh, this week we're going to talk about a few things. There's a number of news items that we're going to get to uh, in- involving some announcements from Sega, a pretty good video game movie for the first time maybe ever, and Sea of Thieves, we're going to talk about it Oh, one more time. <laughs> we weren't gonna, but then it was important to do so. Uh, and then finally, we're going to talk about God of War and innovation in video games. So that's exciting, and I, I'm, uh, I'm excited to get to it. But first, let's jump into the Playtime Report. So the Playtime Report is the part of the show where we talk about what we've been playing since the last episode, and I'm looking at what we've written down on the Google Doc, James. It doesn't look very different. Not very different to last time, no. <laughs> no. I think there, there's some key differences here that uh, should be talked about. For one, we are both still playing Sea of Thieves. What's up with yeah. that? Um, <laughs> I... I... I, I've gotten to a point where, like, the things I've said in the last episode were were pretty critical of Sea of Thieves, and I hold them. I, I think that they are still valid. But I've mm. really gotten to a point where it's it's quite zen. Yeah. To, yeah. to never be surprised about anything a video game is going to give me um, is, <laughs> is obviously full of its own negatives. But it's just very, it's very familiar at this point. Nothing new and crazy is going to happen, so I, I fall into it and I just kind of have a regular old good time. Yeah, it's it's safe. <laughs> it's, yeah. it's comfortable. Yeah. It's like an old pair of shoes at this point. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> um, yeah, I mean, look, I'm pl- I'm still playing it. I'm probably playing it a bit less than I was <clears throat> a couple of weeks ago. I oh, same here. Yeah, I um, 
I'm now at level 15 with each of the factions in the game. Mm. Uh, and it's kind of reached the point where the, the voyages are becoming bigger and more complex. So, you know, when you're, for example, when you're doing the gold hoarder voyages, you know, you might have, <clears throat> excuse me, you might have like three different maps now and one of them will just give you the direct locations of treasures on a particular island, which is pretty standard. And the others will be like the riddle, you know, the riddles that you have to solve, um, which on the one hand, that's great. But because you're sort of mechanically doing the same thing every time, I don't know that these longer multi-stage voyages are actually more fun. I'm finding them more tedious. Um, it yeah. sort of feels a bit more like the further in you go, the deeper into the mud you go and you're kind of like spinning the wheels trying to move. Yeah, I, I think there's a point where after you get to probably where you've gotten, you have enough gold to buy any character loadout that you want, right? You have enough gold. I, I'm assuming that you're at this point where if you want an outfit you see in the store and you've uh, at least unlocked it because some of them need to be unlocked with uh, different levels. Yeah. You, you can buy anything you want fairly early. And unless you're trying to be a completionist and get every piece of clothing or to change your clothing really often, um, I, I locked into the look I want for my pirate very fast. Yeah. And post that, the gold doesn't mean much to me. I can I can buy um, decals for my boat, and those are way more expensive. That's like a premium. Well, not premium because that means microtransactions these days. What's a better word? Uh, that's like a, a luxury thing you would buy in the game. Yeah. Um, that you don't have enough gold for for a, for a long time, um, mm. but you can buy that, and that's like something to work toward. But I also just like the regular way the boat looks. So if I have the things I want, <laughs> it's very hard for me to get excited about getting more gold, which is rough for the game. Because the reason you keep repeating this thing is, I mean, presumably because you like it, but also because it's getting you more gold. And when that's taken away, it re the, the loop aspect of the game is, is shown barren very quickly but uh we, we have some good news in that regard so i don't want to seem too dour into it uh if you're excited for that good news wait until our our newsy nibble section of the show but until then i've also been playing uh with the xbox game pass that i uh purchased in order to play sea of thieves i downloaded super lucky's tale um, yeah so super super lucky's tale is a 3d platformer um I believe exclusive to Microsoft devices, so Xbox and, and PC. It's it's very weird to just see one of these. Do you know what I mean? Like, I was talking last year a lot about how 3D platformers have gotten to a place where, yeah, they're they're like back, but they're they're back in these really big ways, like ukulele is so exciting it, it's the banjo kazooie team back at it again whether you like the finished product or not 
um, Hat in Time was this Kickstarter prodigy game that was worked on for years and years and years. And mm. Mario Odyssey is a, a Mario game. This is just like one of them. This is just yeah. a new one they made. And yeah. I'm not going to lie. It's not the best game in the world. Uh, the controls, which for a 3D platformer are, are uh, t- uh, paramount, they're not firm and reliable. But it's I'm just excited that there's one of them. Like, it's just... <laughs> it's not for anything. They just made it. Yeah. That's weird. I, um, <clears throat> I, I tried it. I played... Because I've got Game Pass as well. And I thought, yeah, why the hell not? Um, and I, I probably did, I don't know, maybe I played for half an hour, 45 minutes, something like that. I mean, it, it looks great. The visuals are beautiful. It's very colorful. The animation's great. Um, but it's very, and, and, and I don't mean this as a criticism of the game itself, really. Um, I, I think it's definitely skewed at a younger audience. So it's, um, and, and probably even younger than, than say Mario or one of those platformers, just by virtue of the fact that it's a lot less complex and, um, you know, it's, it's very sort of accessible. Um, so it's probably great for a certain audience. Um, but you know, I, I had a bit of fun with it, but it's probably not a game I'll go back to and play all the way through. It takes me back to the, uh, the GameCube and PS2 era where double a level, yeah, platformers yeah. like this are just abundant like <clears throat> tack and the power of juju was just something nickelodeon wanted to make uh yeah. so they just like did it didn't really think about it and then it was gone uh and that era of gaming is is far behind us at this point but then this just happens to exist i'm and i'm super psyched about it uh yeah it, it, it's it's pretty um it's pretty kitty not just in its presentation but also in its controls i liken it to what Kirby does for the 2D platformer, actually. Mm. Um, I, I think that as a 3D platformer, this is very Kirby-esque, really trying to hit a, a kid level where yeah. Kirby probably has more of that Nintendo polish that um, that elevates it above something like this. But uh, I, I think it's an admirable attempt. And, you know, the the first few levels of this game, which I'm, I'm not sure if you got past in, in a half hour. I, I wasn't really keeping track of time when I was playing it. Um, I think really undersell the charm of this game. Lucky yeah. as a character design is, is pretty basic as well. He's just like a really standardized platformer hero. Yeah. Uh, and between that, the, the the early stuff and the character himself it it's easy to uh underestimate how much charm this game is going to have like in the second world of the game i was hit on by this worm girl she was flirting with me and then there was this <laughs> uh a country band also composed of, of worm people uh mm. and they couldn't start a concert until i fixed the electricity so that i needed to do that and when i did that they played a real actual factual voice acted country song as but they were also worms so it sounded like worms were singing which is a weird thing to dis- <laughs> to describe i'm not sure if i can convey that mental yeah, image that's... of what it sounds mm. like for worms to sing but they did it <laughs> and it was wow. it's really fun I, I, yeah, okay. So you've convinced me to play a little bit more. At least well, I don't know. I, I, you're probably fine. 
<laughs> I, I, maybe I'll look at it on YouTube. I got to see the worm band just because someone did it. Yeah, someone did it. Um, <laughs> it's it's not too far from like how they make chipmunks sing in Alvin and the Chipmunks or something. Mm. It's just they did it though. It's a, it's a country song. Uh, and mm. also my my last game I've been playing. I have not been playing too much uh, since the last episode in any games because I've been pretty busy. But I went to visit some college friends and. Just like I was I was telling you about how that wedding I was at, I played Mario Kart 8 Deluxe with a bunch of friends. I brought Mario Kart 8 Deluxe to this uh this this gathering of college friends and it played just as well at the party. Everyone loves when you bust out Mario Kart 8 Deluxe. They don't love it as much when you bust out like any other game. Um <laughs> but really if you if you got Mario Kart 8 Deluxe especially if you can plug it into a TV cuz it's a little bit rough to have four people crowded around the yeah. small switch switch screen but if you can yeah. do it just wow that's that is an instant party classic. <laughs> yeah. Clearly clearly the parties in the US don't start until Mitchell gets there with Mario Kart. <laughs> like that's that's the message I'm getting here. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> There's a lot of but things you right. can do with Mario Kart. Yeah. I, I haven't actually put it on this list because it was almost too brief to put it on there. But um, <clears throat> my siblings came around last weekend and they brought Kirby on Switch. And um, four of us played that. And although it's not a game that I... It, it's probably not a game that I would buy because I think you need to play it four-player for it to be really interesting and fun um but we were we were all sitting around with drinks like you know these these mature adults sitting around with drinks playing four player kirby and it was awesome because we had no idea what the hell was going on i'm really i i had no idea and my the sister that brought it over was trying to explain it to us and at one point she just stopped and said look don't worry just play. I know it's crazy. It will make sense eventually. Like just do it and you'll learn it. Um, and it was, it was actually really good. Like it was, it was so crazy. It kind of reminded me a bit of playing smash brothers. Almost. There was so much going on on the screen. It was so fast and so crazy and so kind of over the top that it was kind of a good party game. Actually. That's, that's an interesting direction for Kirby. Yeah. Cause because I've never been into yeah. Kirby games. Like me the, neither. Yeah, like the main kind of Kirby platformers have always felt a little bit um, kind of slow and floaty, just by virtue of how Kirby moves. Mm-hmm. Um, I've always preferred Mario to Kirby. So, but but playing this as like a, a crazy party game was actually a lot of fun. I guess when it when you take an action series of any kind, a platformer or a fighter or anything like that, and you make it really easy, maybe the natural end of that is to substitute difficulty and challenge with camaraderie. So yeah. maybe this is like exactly where Kirby needs to be. It's just, it maybe it needs to be a, a multiplayer thing from now on. Um, not to say that it's it was like bad otherwise. I know Kirby has so many fans, but um, it wasn't personally doing it for me where I can see myself getting really into it with a group of friends. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I would definitely play it again in a group. It's um, 
and and it's also the sort of game where you can sort of you know you can all sort of sit there and laugh and socialize and not really like it's simple enough that you don't really have to pay a lot of attention and you don't really have to worry about strategy or or being like highly cooperative or anything like that it's just this sort of crazy experience um so you know it's something i'd recommend but again only really if you can play it multiplayer so i'm i'm seeing a uh trinity of other games in your playtime report list that are definitely not multiplayer um how are you doing with those yeah so still playing far cry 5 playing single player and co-op with that one um as time's going on i'm getting less interested in it uh it's i'm still enjoying it but there are some aspects of the design that are really bothering me. Um, and I think the biggest one, and this is something, there was an awesome article by Rock Paper Shotgun about this recently. Um, and this is none of this is a spoiler, but basically the, the world is kind of divided into three regions. Each of them is governed by a different boss, essentially. And, you know, one of your goals is to get to the point where you take out each of these bosses and you in each region as you do stuff so as you you know as you rescue people and as you complete missions and stuff you kind of build up um like a reputation level in each region and once you've filled that bar you get to fight that region's boss yeah but what happens is as you build up your reputation and you conquer outposts and all the rest of it it's almost like you're you have this permanent wanted level that keeps increasing and it's really weird and frustrating because if you could be in the most quiet area in the game and if you just stand still even if you're in cover if you just stand still for like 30 seconds or more the AI will force enemies to randomly find you and kill you you Even see, it's amazing point... that that's an issue in Far Cry 5, because it's the fifth of something, yeah. right? Like, you'd, you'd think by <laughs> 3 and 4, they'd, have, they'd yeah. have figured it out, and they would just not ever have that problem again. It It's almost like, I think Rock, pa- Rock Paper Shotgun was sort of saying, it's almost like the developers were terrified that you would ever have a quiet moment and that you might get bored. And, and I feel like they couldn't have been more wrong because the game world itself is so beautiful and well-designed and interesting to explore. But you, it's difficult to explore because even when you kind of, you move far away from a main road and you're out in the forest and everything, like there's one region where a plane will start flying overhead and you could be lying down in the mud completely you know hidden and this plane will spot you from way up in the sky and start shooting at you with machine guns and it's like just give me a second you know like give me some peace (laughs) for a second it starts to actually become annoying um so the upshot of the whole thing is rock paper shotgun said the game starts to become a lot more fun after you kill all of the three bosses because there are still enemies in the world 
but it, it sort of reverts to being more like a traditional Far Cry game where the enemies don't have this sixth sense where they just know where you are all the time. So you I know, take it actually... killing those three bosses aren't, that's not the end game? That doesn't finish the game? No, it's okay. not. But I mean, by the time you get there, you've done so much to achieve that level of reputation. I don't know if there's much more after that. Maybe there is, but um, it's, yeah, I'm, I'm finding that kind of annoying, to be honest. Um, it, it's definitely hurting the game for me. Um, and just quickly, I'm playing, still playing Bloodborne here and there, because I always will. That That's like a forever game <laughs> as well. Yep. And um, Persona 5, uh, I still haven't finished it. It goes on forever. Mm-hmm. I, I, I'm still enjoying it, but I, I, um, I think it's going to take me like another year to finish it because it's just so massive. Do you think I you're going to the... actually keep playing it for a year though? I, I, whenever that happens to me, I, I just understand that I'm going to peter out and eventually I just lose interest. I, yeah, I've. There's part of me that's like almost ready to just accept defeat and not finish it, but it's sitting there on my PlayStation and I want to delete it and I don't want to delete it until I finished it. And it's just sitting there mocking me every time that tile on the PlayStation screen, like, so, and, and it is enjoyable. It's just that it's so long and, um, although the story and the characters are interesting, there are definitely moments where the character conversation gets into this really nitty gritty minutia that itself is not like, doesn't really need to be there. Uh huh. So we'll see. I, I, I should have, I should Google and see how far away I am from the end. I've got to be near the end. Surely. I've, uh, I've, played some persona five at a friend's house just very briefly and Mm. in the small amount of time that i was there the just the the lexical inefficiency of persona five there's how many (laughs) words they take to say any one thing is astounding (laughs) it's it's unbelievable um i i have to assume that's localization and that's not like an actual problem with the game um although it is an actual problem with the english game but um yeah just wow i i don't remember that being a problem i did play uh persona 3 all Mm. the way through um i don't remember that being so much of a problem but maybe i'm rose tinted i don't know yeah i mean the the way the way that i'd kind of exemplify this is and, and I'm just going to say this, whether this is a spoiler or not, the game's been out for ages, so spoiler warning, everybody. Um, I'm at the point in the game where the where they go to Hawaii for like a, a school field trip thing. And I'm thinking, oh, yeah, this will be good. You know, we'll go to a different different location, blah, blah, blah. And it's really pretty and everything. But they stand there for... They're standing on the beach for about 10 to 15 minutes having a conversation about which items they packed and brought with them versus what they need to go and buy at the shop. And one of them needs to buy a skin cream and one of them needs a sunscreen. And then they're debating what activities they should do. 
Then they get out their phones and search for the most interesting things to do in Hawaii and they discuss it, but don't do it. <laughs> um, and it's like, and it's just so... It's realistic. It It's realistic. It's like, and I don't know, it's just like, it's like if someone made a game about accounting, um, it, it just feels, there are moments that feel like that where much as I'm interested in the characters and everything, I'm thinking, I'm, I'm just clicking, you know, the X button and I'm like, come on. Yep. Yep. Okay. We get it. We get it. Move on, move on. There's, so. there's part of me that is into that. Part of me is very into the idea of, you know, let's, let's go ahead. Let's take some time. Let's relive high school and like that sort of friend culture that you have at that time in your life. Um, yeah that would spend all this time together all the time and go to places and not do anything important, but just chill and take in that atmosphere. But then I remember that like, I have real friends. I could just do it. It. I don't need to be in high school to hang out in the world. It's yeah. Yeah. And you, you've got, that's the key. Like you've got to be in the mood. There are, there are times when I'm really in the mood, to to play something like that because it is kind of like the sea of thieves example it's it's almost it can almost be a zen thing where yeah you know you got these big stretches of just dialogue and all the rest of it um but sometimes you just you just want to get moving so um i believe that'll take us straight into our newsy nibble So, James, guess what? They made a good video game movie. Did they? Really? Finally? It, it seems like they've made... Well, let, let me clarify. Long-time <laughs> listeners of the show will know that the Super Jump podcast and Super Jump as a whole is very pro Super Mario Brothers, the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, we're talking about cultural acceptance, critically acclaimed video game movies there there really hasn't been too much uh the closest was um before this what do you think was the closest thing to a very critically acclaimed video game movie Mm, good question i heard Um, a couple things about angry birds um but i don't think that's Look, I, Unanimous. to be honest, other than the Mario Brothers movie, whenever a video game related movie comes out, I just tend to ignore it, yeah. including the reviews. So I don't know. I mean, the, the only other movie I can think of that maybe got kind of a lukewarm reception might have been the original Mortal Kombat, um, if for no other reason than the special effects at the time were pretty good. That's yeah, um, that, that's a good that's a good point. Um, in addition to that, I'm thinking that there are occasionally some Final Fantasy movies that I know are appreciated by fans of Final Fantasy, but not too many other people. Um, the first Pokemon movie is an absolute classic, but again, if you look at reviews from the time, they didn't, they didn't think so. They, it, it's one of those sleeper (laughs) hits. We found out how good that movie is years later. Um, but Rampage. The, the movie Rampage supposedly is good. It's just good. Uh, it is a Dwayne the Rock Johnson vehicle, which uh, is always a, 
a good sign if you want to make a big dumb movie but also want to have like a certain amount of people defending it just saying yeah it's just fun i i think dwayne the rock johnson is very good at making that kind of movie um and they did they made exactly that kind of movie i have not played the original rampage game james you said you had uh could you give a brief synopsis of the game well, there's really nothing to it. Uh, you can play up to four players. Each one controls a different monster. And all you do... Uh, it was originally released in the arcades, I believe. Um, all you do is you, you're basically all on a single screen full of buildings, great big towers. You climb the towers and smash them up bit by bit and, and like get points for breaking stuff. That That's basically it. And you kind great. of... The, the one thing that was cool about Rampage when it first came out, I think, was that you, as you kind of like punch the, the side of a building, a small piece of that building will kind of individually break away. So the buildings were really like um, sort of destructible piece by piece, hmm. which I think at the time was a fairly novel idea. Like I hadn't seen a game that sort of felt that dare I say, realistic when it came to monster smashing buildings. Um, but that's basically it. That That's the whole game. It's, it was a very old arcade game originally. So, you know, there's not much to it. So I, when I saw that they I, made the movie, I'm like, God help us. Like, this is like the emoji <laughs> movie. Like, what possible story yeah. could they hitch to this thing? Well, maybe that's why it's good. Maybe because because video game stories need to be a specific thing in order to tie into mechanics in a in a good way that feels yeah. responsible. Hmm. But and and movies need to be th- their own kind of stories, and generally they don't correlate the the kind of story you need for a game versus the kind of story you need for a movie. If all you have in Rampage is just saying, "Hey, there's monsters; they break buildings." You can make any kind of story you want based on that. And and maybe that's why it, it worked out. Maybe that's why, uh, because it's so bare bones, it's a good idea. Yeah, absolutely. Or, or it could be a sign of our impending doom as a culture. But, oh, sure. You know, either way, either way. One of the two. <laughs> yeah. In other but, news, so- Sega announced a bunch of stuff this, uh, this, this past week. Um, I want. I want to play a little game. I want to play mm-hmm. a game. Uh, you. You just say, "Yay!" or eh, for for each of the things Sega announced. Okay. Okay. Shenmue One and Two HD. Yay! Great. Okay, that's a yay. I I agree Definite. that that's a yay. Um, Definite yay. Yeah. Okay. That's big, isn't it? Um. Shenmue 1 and 2 HD is coming to not only PS4, uh, and, and that's notable because Shenmue 3 is exclusive to PS4, um, but also PC and Xbox. Yeah, that's very good news. I mean, it's uh, it's awesome because, you know, you're definitely going to be getting the definitive versions of these games, and, and they are classic games. Um, the only thing is it's it's probably a point that doesn't matter too much because i think most people who buy these games 
probably will buy them for sort of nostalgic or collector reasons, or maybe they missed them at the time and they want to play them now. But I think um, if you're coming to these games now in 2018 and you've never played them before, um, be prepared for a lot of tedium. My assumption um, with this is that it's mainly for people who um, are really excited about Shenmue 3 from what they've heard from other people, but weren't originally on that Shenmue bandwagoners, I guess. Um, not to not to diss them, I'm sure they have all their great reasons for bandwagoning, but they are. Um, <laughs> yeah, and, yeah, and look, it may... I mean, it, look, they may play these games and, and absolutely love them and all the rest of it. And they are great games, but, but they're also kind of artifacts of their time because when they first came out, they were, I would almost call them, especially the first one, almost kind of revolutionary when they came out in terms of how they pushed gaming technology forward. And although they, you know, they're, they're beautiful to look at, they have great music and all the rest of it. And they're, they're genuinely interesting. But um, a big part of their appeal at the time was, you know, the size of the world and the realistic weather system and the fact that you could do all of these different things in the world that kind of simulated real life. The realism of the games was a big selling point at the time. Um, so playing them now especially given that a lot of these mechanics have kind of lived on and evolved in the yakuza series um i just think new players may be a little bit surprised maybe not pleasantly right um i mean i hope they like them but just be prepared is what i would say okay remember yay or eh sega genesis mini uh, yay with a question mark okay somewhere in the middle somewhere um, in the middle it depends it depends yeah it does depend you are right to say that because this is made by the exact same company that made the previous Sega Genesis plug and play things they've been selling for years now um the thing to get excited about this seems to just be that it's small <laughs> and it, it's cute um i hope that's yeah. not it i hope there's like a reason to, to really get excited about this because the previous sega genesis uh plug and play collection dealy bob was was panned hard by by critics for its obtusive ui which was way more complicated than it needed to be and um poor emulation absolutely um and you can watch uh, i really recommend watching some of the review videos of the original plug and play because i mean everything from terrible terrible audio reproduction to in some cases really significant lag with the controller uh, significant delay on the the controller input which i think probably rendered some games on there almost unplayable or at least very frustrating if you remember the originals. So, um, I mean, we'll see. I, I would love to see Sega really um, invest in this and really put 
the attention to detail into it and the quality that Nintendo did with their products because you know the these games deserve to be um, deserve to be loved and respected and and this was an awesome awesome console um, so let's see what Sega does but you know if it's great if, it, if it's genuinely good quality I'll be first in line to buy one should I be as annoyed as I am with the fact that they're calling this a mini and it is literally just a smaller version of the console, just like the Super Nintendo and NES Classic. Like this seems <laughs> this seems very on the nose. Well, okay, I'm gonna make a controversial statement now. <laughs> I I think a lot of what Sega as a publisher has been doing for a long time has been on the nose. I mean. There's a part of Sega that still exists that is great and that that is responsible for publishing some really excellent games, um, and and that's awesome. But when it comes to Sega's licensing of their IP, um, I mean, I sort of feel like they're the town bike. Everyone's had a ride. Um, okay. They, you know, they they kind of. They just seem to license stuff left, right, and center without remotely caring about the quality. And I think that's done a lot of damage, to be honest. Um, you know, I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm excited to play retro Sega games on new platforms, and that's always great. And, you know, I, I always want to see that happen, but I'm always really hesitant because i just don't know if the quality is going to be there i don't I don't trust them to to deliver great quality whereas once upon a time you know sega was kind of like nintendo in terms of you know you could safely have that trust in their brand yeah so you so, you jumped ahead a little bit um the <laughs> next the next item here yay or eh sega ages is a new label that Sega's created to bring retro Sega games, presumably just uh, Mega Drive Genesis era Sega games, mm. to the Switch. Starting with Sonic 1, Fantasy Star 1, and Thunder Force 4, a game I've literally never heard of until today. <laughs> oh, it's, it's another yay with a question mark. Okay. Um, yeah, I'm giving like... this one a fat eh. Yeah, I for me it, it still comes back to the the ultimate quality of the emulation with these. I mean, you know, Sega have had some really awesome examples where they've done fantastic emulation of older games. Um so we'll see what happens with this. I I will never be opposed to classic Sega games being available on Switch because a lot of these games I'd love to play um, in handheld mode. Like I'd love to have them as as portable games with the Switch's slightly bigger screen. Right. Um, I'm not really motivated to buy some of these on on Xbox or PS4. So here's why I'm giving it a, a really big eh. This seems to indicate it's not really Sega's fault, but mm. this is bad news. Because this indicates that Virtual Console is not coming back in the form that we know about. In in the form that we would find familiar. Does it not? Like, th this would imply that Nintendo does not have plans to bring 
at least not to bring the Genesis back to virtual console. It, the Genesis was a virtual console option. There, you could just buy old Sega games through the Wii, 3DS, and Wii U era. And mm. I think a lot of us have been holding out hope that it, this is just coming to the party on Switch really late. But this seems like it's just not happening now. If Sega has to do their own thing. Yeah, I um, I think you're right. I think it's looking more and more likely that Nintendo, whatever they do with their subscription service with classic games, um, that it that it probably won't come in the form of the virtual console that we've seen in the past. The only thing I would say about it, though, is I don't know how much I care about that because. Really, the virtual console is just a means to an end, right? It's it, you know, at the end of the day, what what is the end result? The end result is you've got these various classic games to play on a new console. Um, so, you know, if if all of the Sega games and I mean we've already got a lot of the Neo Geo stuff and Nintendo's classic games, if they all just appear in the eShop like regular games uh without me going through a virtual console menu i don't see a big sort of functional difference at the end of the day well that's Um, the if though if they do appear we've seen that with sega and neo geo we have not seen that with nintendo themselves um it for things like mega man you need to now buy an entire legacy collection to play an individual mega man game on a nintendo console um, a lot of the yeah. freedom of just being able to buy one thing that you want uh, without a subscription, because that is something else people are, are thinking about. If you mm. have a subscription to Nintendo's uh, new network thing that they're doing later this year, that'll give you access to a Netflix-like array of virtual console-type games, which would be cool. That's great. And that's what I like about um, the, the Xbox Game Pass so much. Yeah, but all of the things in Game Pass can be bought individually, and uh, if I ever quit Game Pass, I can still think, oh, okay, you know what? I liked Sea of Thieves, just not enough to keep paying for Game Pass. I'll just buy that game. Um, yeah. And yeah, yeah. in that way, if I dig up my Xbox twenty years from now, Sea of Thieves is a bad example because it's an online game. What if I was talking about Super Lucky's Tale? I could still play Super Lucky's Tale because it's still there. I don't have it tied to like an account. If yeah. this is if this Netflix thing is the only way to to get new games, and there's no traditional virtual console buying process on the Switch in the future, um, I won't be able to take out my my old Switch in a few years and play those games. And also, if they do that, I don't know if they'll feel compelled to build up the library that they did for Virtual Console because they could do that and probably just say, um, we we need to give you some games for this subscription. What if you just get like NES games? And then mm-hmm. all of the Super Nintendo games and all the Game Boy games and all of the N64 and GameCube um, games that could have been offered. Uh, th- there's much less impotence on Nintendo's part to to get them up and running because they are not actually making money individually on these things so it it does it does scare me quite a bit i i I agree with you that if they show up in some form uh in in some viable form that's still fine i don't care if it's virtual console brand or anything like that but um yeah 
So, yeah, it, yeah I mean, it, and that's a good point. Like, if, if you, when you say virtual console, if you're talking about purchasing individual games that you, so, that you effectively own forever, regardless of subscription, I, I definitely would like to see that. I wouldn't like to see these games sit exclusively behind a subscription. Uh, and I think that's what Microsoft have done well with Game Pass. They haven't made it the, the only game in town for Xbox. Um, but I actually think there's a much bigger issue on top of that. Um, whatever Nintendo do, the one thing that, that I've found frustrating for a long time is the fact that we need to keep rebuying the same game again and again and again on every platform. Yeah. So yeah. they need to really think about this idea that, you know, I have a library of games associated with my Nintendo ID. If I've bought Super Mario Brothers on whatever platform, even if a different, you know, even if it has to be emulated again on, on a future hardware platform, then that game should come with me, you know, unless the only exception I can think of is if they do something like what they're proposing with the subscription service where, you know, they make changes to the to the graphics and they add online co-op and that sort of thing. Like, okay, fair enough, you know, that's that's sort of a different experience that you might that you might have as part of a subscription service or a separate purchase. But, you know, like I've already bought Super Mario 64. Like I own it on N64. I own it on Wii U. Uh, much as I love it, I, I want to just own a digital version forever, like have access to a digital version forever on whatever platform it's available on rather than yeah, I, I, oh, I I've totally had to go and buy you. it five times. Like that's the thing that, that I feel Microsoft in some ways, in some ways I feel like Microsoft doesn't get enough acknowledgement for the great work they've done in absolutely that area. absolutely um, they're the nice guys of the console in industry area. yeah yeah they've they've done a fantastic job in that area um i feel like a bad consumer because i'm not gonna vote with my wallet everything you said is absolutely correct if they put out super mario 64 again I, i'll just buy it again i will um be, especially because on the switch it's like different i feel like making a nintendo 64 game portable is a big enough difference that i uh, am dumb enough to pay for it again uh and i will i'm definitely that dumb uh and we have one more newsy nibble <laughs> one more piece of news the uh rare has released not the rare i suppose just rare has released a content roadmap for sea of thieves this is exciting they had Joe Neat, the executive producer of the game, and Mike Chapman, the creative director of the game, sit down and they filmed they filmed it. They're just talking through what is going to happen through uh, in Sea of Thieves through the end of summer. And James, it's it's some good stuff. Uh, the first thing is happening in early May, which check your phones, check your calendars. It is less than a month from now. It's called The Hungering yeah. Deep. Uh, Hungering Deep. It is described as... And they're very vague about all these things specifically, mm -hmm. but I love what I'm hearing. Uh, it's described as a new AI threat that can be tackled with multiple crews coming together and 
forming some sort of like I'm I'm thinking this is a destiny like raid um yeah. against some with a name like Hungering Deep I'm assuming a giant sea monster. Um Yeah. Cool, right? Like this is a thing I we were talking about just the repetition of voyages over and over again. If this is a much longer, much more difficult voyage type thing that has a little bit of story to it, it has specific items you can get from it. It is yeah. just a difficult thing, and it can be repeated a couple times as well. So you can uh, you you can grind it as opposed to grinding just your regular voyages. Mm. This is a game changer. This is this is really cool, and like. I was thinking about this this morning and like, can you imagine, you know, kind of like the skull forts, there's a spot on the map, there's a place in the world you have to sail to and all of these other ships kind of converging on that location from all around the world and you kind of like your galleon or in my case sloop (laughs) being, being in this like giant armada of ships heading toward a single enemy. I think that's, like that could be really really cool i'm I'm pretty excited about that yeah i feel that that was what uh forts were supposed to be um it just seems like every time i get to a fort uh and and i'm always open to cooperating with other people and splitting the treasure i want that to be known i'm a good guy pirate um Mm. when other boats come around they will just attempt to shoot me down they won't ask any questions uh and it's just better if you uh, if you join up with your crew on Xbox Live Chat, because that takes you out of game chat, which is strategically advantageous, uh, so mm-hmm. you don't hear you don't like make sounds that other people can hear, and you can still communicate with your team, uh, which I think is not great. I think you should always be using game chat if you can. Um, that that's that's rough it's really hard to be friendly in the game right now and what they talked about specifically is in with the hungering death it's a it's a major update it's not just this one thing they're adding at the same time mm-hmm. there's obviously going to be new aesthetic choices um that's always going to be constantly built up throughout the game's life and also there they hinted at a new way to communicate with other boats um so if this uh, what I'm thinking is a lot of people have speculated online that this is like you can change the flag on the top of your boat to different mm-hmm. colors. Um, and maybe that means that can mean something like if if you fly a blue flag, that'll mean, hey, I'm friendly and uh, I'm interested in cooperating and we can get through this together. And if you fly a red flag, that means not that <laughs> that is the opposite of that. Um, yeah if that happens it'll be interesting interesting that yeah i'm I'm really fascinated to see how that evolves because a lot of people have suggested the idea of signaling your intentions visually but I, i think it's pretty clear that if they just implement that change uh people will use it pvp players will clearly use that as a strategic weapon so um it'll very quickly be gamed in in a way that the people who want it um, will be unhappy with, I think. So yeah, that's fair. What's what's going to be fascinating from Rare's point of view is to look at how they update or change or redesign the incentive structure in the game in such a way that you are not 
um, you know, you're not constantly encouraged to play from a, an aggressive PvP perspective. Um, I see it as like an incentive design problem that they need to figure out. And it's not, it's not going to be easy to, to work through. Like, I think it's a tough challenge because they could go too far in one direction and completely kind of upend the experience in a way that that's not pleasant as well. So um, I'm really excited to, to see what they do in these updates. Um, one other little thing that I loved as well, just reading the, the update notes from Rare was um, they were planning to introduce pets in the May update. Yeah. And they've put pets on the back burner. And mm-hmm. I thought, bravo, like you guys are listening to the feedback. Yeah, they've, I, they've I, said I before like the game came out that their first major update would be pets and that pets yeah. would be microtransactions. You would, yep. you would buy pets with real money. And they, on, on the one hand, bravo, yes, correct, that is the good thing to do in this case. Um, you can't put microtransactions on this kind of game without this much content already there for a, for a long time. Um on the other hand, I, it wasn't hard to make that decision, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> like, that is an obvious, don't do that. <laughs> if your game well, releases and it's it's treated like this, uh, don't do that. It's, it's, I know it's, it's obvious, but, you know, I think um, there, is, there have been so many cases in the last couple of years where you would have thought the choice would be that obvious and companies still tried to ram things down players' throats that they were really resistant to. And, you know, I, I always hoped that Rare would do the right thing, um, and they have, and that's great. Um, I'm just pleased to see that they... that it, it looks like they won't be talking about pets for a very long time because they didn't even say, you know, it's been moved to later in the year. From memory, they just said it's on the back burner, and I thought, yep, just leave it there where it belongs. Yeah, I, <laughs> I want for Sea of Thieves... For it to become the game that can have microtransactions in it healthfully. If it can have it and it makes sense, it's already a full enough game without it. Yeah, yeah. that's cool. It, it Then yeah. you can do it. That is the... I'm not even sure if The Hungering Deep will do that for me. It Maybe just after a few of these major updates, then we can start talking about it again. But... Yeah, yeah. It, it would be really rough if that happened right now. In addition to The Hungering Deep, uh, this summer they have two more major updates planned. One is called Cursed Sails, which um, has a new ship type, they're, they're saying. Um, that's been a talking point for some people online. There, There's currently only a galleon, which is a three or four person boat, or a sloop, which is a one or two person boat. Maybe this is five or six, or maybe this is somewhere in between a galleon and a sloop. Or maybe it's not even a player boat. Maybe it's like a ghost ship that goes around. That's what Cursed Sails sounds like to me. I don't know. And then Forsaken Shores is the... uh, It's also in the summer, but later in the summer, after Cursed Sails, it is a new section of land. There's currently like three main regions of the Sea of Thieves, and this would be a fourth. That, That would just greatly expand the size of the world. And they say that the Forsaken Shores... Uh, will have a new AI threat in it as well. I don't know what that means, but maybe that means um, it's not skellies that you fight here. I don't really know. Um, but that's that's cool. That's, that's 
all things I'm wanting to hear. And my favorite thing about it, uh, about the roadmap, is that they're saying between all of these major events, or major updates, they'll have weekly events. I've been saying yeah. that the game needed this since day one. And it really should yeah. have been in, in the game on day one, and it wasn't. But now every week, once they start, probably like immediately after the Hungering Deep, uh, they will do some sort of weekly event. And it's not just, from the way they've described it, it's not just this week, do this many Gold Hoarders missions for a special prize. It's like they'll introduce new mechanics every week, sort of on a test basis. And uh, that... (coughs) Excuse me. Uh, uh, They will introduce new mechanics every week on a test basis. And uh, I I think they specifically name-dropped cursed cannonballs. I don't know what those would do. I don't know what a curse on a cannonball (laughs) would look like. But uh, if they add that to the game and it's a new mechanic... They can add that through like NPCs talking about it, and you find it in a special voyage for the first time, and that would mm. unlock cursed cannonballs for you. And that's this new thing that just lasts for that week. That makes the game feel so much more alive. Yeah, definitely. I'm, I'm. It, you know, they're making all of the right noises at the moment, and mm-hmm. they're the fact that they've got so many updates coming out over the remaining calendar year is great too. They're not sort of saying you know, you'll get something, but it's six months away or it's 12 months away. Um, They seem to be jumping on pretty quickly. Um, So it's all sounding good. You know, we'll see how it, how it plays, but um, I'm definitely willing to, you know, to stick with it. And I want to try all of these new things. Yeah, I do too. And uh, just, just for the record, I know that the show's been disproportionately, let's say, focused on Sea of Thieves in the past. I've just felt like we needed to talk about it this time because in the very last episode, I say, I, I, I said something to the effect of, if they change it, that's fine. But currently, this is not working. And mm. uh, because these changes have not come yet, I'm, it still isn't working. It's still not a great game yet. But uh, I, I, I need to own up to that. They have exactly answered what I've been talking about. So I, I wanted to bring that up on this episode. But in the meantime, yep. let's go to, you know, that time in 2005 when you were deciding whether or not to buy that creepily adult sexy cat dog shirt at Hot Topic. This week's hot topic is innovation. Yeah, that one was that one was a little long in the tooth. <laughs> uh, no, I'm just I, I I was just thinking, I've had that dilemma so many times. <laughs> I just, you know, you're really connecting to the pulse of the audience with that one. I think. <laughs> yeah, I I'm worried. <laughs> I'm worried that like. Hot Topic isn't necessarily as big of a cultural touchstone as I think it is. <laughs> I'm pretty sure it is, at least in America. Um, I know it's not just like a local thing. I've, I've seen it parodied in different, <laughs> like South Park, I think, did it. Anyway, uh... innovation. God of War is coming out soon, and it looks fantastic by almost all accounts. Dave yes. Tack from Polygon was on Polygon's podcast where they, they uh, go over their reviews and they, they reanalyze everything. They 
uh, interview the the person who wrote the review and they talked about their 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 process to get through it. That's called Quality Control. It's a great podcast. You should check it out. Uh, Dave Tack was talking about God of War on that podcast, and he said so- something that I found really interesting. Uh, and it's not meant to s- to sound like a bad thing uh, or even necessarily a good thing. It's it being God of War is an absolutely amazing game that's made up of really familiar parts that already exist. And I'm not quoting directly, but he he brings up like it's got this over the shoulder camera style that is very similar to an Uncharted game. Uh, the snowy world feel, and, and it, it's not just snowy; it's other biomes as well um, of something like Horizon. The the actual continuity, of course, is taken from the older God of War games, and the story is, you could liken it to The Last of Us, uh, at least in the kind of story it tries to tell. Um, it, it has all these very familiar parts, but all of them are done to their utmost, to their maximum quality level, and all of them mm. are put together where they might not have been stapled together in this exact way before. So God of War does look amazing for this reason. Uh, no knocks against it. But I want to know how we how we feel about this. This will probably be one of the big games later this year that we'll be talking when it comes uh, time to talk about Goaties again. Is it okay to be that representative of what the gaming industry has to offer as like the best stuff and in the same breath not really innovate that much it just take things that have already been done and do them much better um yes it is okay great that's been the show guys case closed uh yeah i mean uh, there's a lot of different ways to look at this on in one from one perspective there's that quote about you know there being nothing original under the sun sure and uh, and so even the games that we think of as being the most innovative, um, you know, ha- often had sort of clear inspirations elsewhere, um, which isn't necessarily, you know, it, it should never be treated as a knock against those games and their innovation. But um, the, the other thing I'd say is there's different kinds of innovation and you hinted at it there by saying that all of the constituent parts might be might have been done before, at least conceptually, mm-hmm. but the way they're being brought together is is sort of novel or innovative. Um, and I think that's really valid. Um, I, I actually, I thought I'm going to look at the dictionary definition of innovation because uh, Ooh, I know that there's the... game we can do, we can play. Yeah, yeah. I thought I, I know that, like, I feel like the word is often... It is used all the time, especially in the game industry. And, and I think sometimes it's sort of misused. Um, so, I mean, I've seen... <laughs> the Google uh, definition... Finish... <laughs> yeah. The Google definition of innovation is the action or process of innovating. Thanks, dude. Thanks, <laughs> Google. That's awesome. Yeah. What, what's the... Um... What's the line under that? I think it says something about... A new idea, like another... method, or product... Yeah. So it's one of those words that is so open to interpretation anyway, but I've noticed people using it as, as an attack on a game. Like, um, 
a, a couple of the comments I've read about Sea of Thieves are that, uh, that, that it's absolutely not innovative at all and therefore should be sort of dismissed. And, and I just think the word's sort of misused quite a lot. Yeah, um, I don't know about that. I, I think Sea of Thieves is incredibly innovative. It, I don't know yeah. if I've ever played a co-op sailing simulation before. Yeah, uh, absolutely. And, and, yeah. and I, so I think what people do is they, they'll break down the constituent parts and say something like, oh, you know, we've had uh, Assassin's Creed Black Flag and, you know, we, we've had games that have done parts of this. But I, but I think that is sort of an act of um, not seeing the forest for the trees kind of thing. Yeah, I, I think I would agree with that. Uh, many award-winning movies and music uh, operate the same way. Very yeah. rarely does true innovation seem to trump like just really polished, like just a really polished thing these days. Uh, for better yeah. or for worse, maybe that'll... Maybe that makes us seem a bit more stunted, but at the same time, polish is hard. It's not like it's less hard than innovation. It's uh, and and it's also at the same time not an either or situation at all. Yeah, and sometimes I think innovation is used as a synonym for good. Right. But yeah. Just because something is innovative or novel doesn't actually mean that it's a great experience or that it's a good idea. Um. I was actually looking at, before we started recording, I was looking at the the GDC 2005 speech by Satoru Iwata about kind of, you know, Nintendo's design philosophy. And that is peak hot thought, topic era. Peak hot topic era, yeah. <laughs> and I thought that he he made an interesting point when he, he said that when Nintendo thinks about developing a new game, they've identified four standards that they effectively measure against for each idea or for each new game. One of them is innovation, obviously. One of them is, uh, is the game intuitive? So does the game control feel natural? One of them is inviting. Is, is this a world that you want to spend time in? And the last one is interface. So can the player interact or connect with this game in a new or different way or in an interesting way? And so I think I, I like that um, summary he gave because I think it sort of demonstrates that innovation is, is a metric or a value, but it's not the only one. There are a lot of other things that contribute to making a game great. Sure. I think that's a, I think that's a great point in, in games. We talk a lot about, um, like what games do more than what they mm. are. Uh, and I, I think that's an artifact of this just being an interactive medium. Yeah, for sure. We, we, we talk I mean, more the about same. the active tense of, of our material rather than the passive tense because uh, you have to do games. So it, it makes sense that games would do in return where, where sometimes I think they can just be. I don't know if that sentence yeah, um, makes any sense, but <laughs> sometimes they can well, be instead of do. Who knows? <laughs> well, it's interesting because it makes me wonder, you know, like if you play a game, for example, that has that is mechanically brilliant and <clears throat> the moment to moment gameplay is incredible, but the story and the acting is really weak. 
um, where do you put your your emphasis, you know, in terms of your own enjoyment? Like, um, you know, I, I think about it in a similar way to if you compare books and film, you know, you don't talk about the value of cinematography in a novel, for example. It's It's a trait, it's an attribute of film as a medium. Right. And in the same way with games, you know, interactivity and game mechanics are kind of the core attribute of that medium. Right. But in, in a situation like God of War, for example, it seems like the actual interactivity is not doing anything necessarily new. Mm. And that is the focus of the game. But that's yeah. still that's still okay. Yeah, I mean, you know, as you said at the beginning, um, clearly this game, I mean, I haven't played it yet, but clearly it's incredibly polished and and it, it looks as though it sort of cherry picks some of the best ideas that are already out there and brings them together in a way that is brilliantly executed. And, you know, that brilliant execution, I think, makes all the difference. I saw a tweet last night that had it was of it was a little video of god of war and it was kratos walking backwards in the snow and because he was walking backwards his feet were were crumpling the snow under him and it looked so amazing (laughs) just (laughs) on a technical level this game is innovative i suppose so it's it's not i mean this conversation isn't really about god of war but if if it were to be about God of War, oh my God, the the <laughs> graphics of this game, James, are amazing. Mm. They are absolutely flawless. It's insanity. Yeah, I know every every game is gonna look pretty dated ten years after it comes out. I don't know how this will, and I'm sure I'll come <laughs> back to this episode in in the future and I'll think <laughs> I thought that was advanced. This is crazy. Yeah. Just the snow it, particles. Yeah. And it's you're right, like it it's the technical aspect of executing that. But even the fact that the thing that I really love about that is the fact that someone actually thought about that scenario and then decided that, you know, essentially it had to be catered for in the game. I mean there are so many examples where you could just sort of hand wave and say, Oh, you know, whatever, we're not going to deal with that. Um, and, and I just think that attention to detail, uh, the fact that they took every one of those little pieces seriously is incredible. Um, you know, it reminds me of when, when you see, um, and it's far less technically impressive, but when you see Mario running around in, in Super Mario Odyssey and the fact that he not only turns his head yeah you know to 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 face things in the world but the fact that you can actually see his eyes moving and his his facial expression changing and that's on on the one hand that's such a small thing like you you know who cares if he does that maybe he could just always look forward and blink and we mostly see the back of his head so why bother but the fact that Nintendo actually took the time to give Mario this apparent like awareness of the environment that he's in, um, I sort of feel like that's one thing that separates Nintendo um, from 
you know, a lot of other developers. And, and it's probably the same is probably true in this case with God of War as well. Yeah, definitely. It, it's, it, it's interesting because I remember the beginning of the HD era in the mm. super not super <laughs> the super xbox the xbox 360 and uh <laughs> ps3 era when, when things were hd for the first time and at this point hd just means 720 um mm. the new focus of pushing our games forward was graphical where it hadn't really been that way before the ps2 was comfortably the best selling most influential console of its generation while also being by far the least powerful by by quite a bit more than or uh, less powerful than the GameCube or original Xbox. Uh, so it, it, at that point, it was design as a focus of innovation. And then it was graphics after that. And then I, I felt like until just recently, we were in another design focus era. And now that things are getting really into 4K... We're getting really interested in 4K as as a medium. Uh, maybe we're in we're we're pushing graphical and, and just technological innovation more so than other things. Again, maybe this is the new uh, the new thing we're looking forward to. Yeah, I think um, my take's probably a little bit different. I think as time's going on, we're getting to that point of sort of increasingly diminishing returns with each hardware generation. So graphics are always improving, but they're improving more slowly than they were, say, 10 or 15 years ago. That's definitely true. Um, and, and I think in there was a time when, as you're saying with the first HD games, where you could you could sell a game based on, you know, high-resolution textures and particle effects and kind of technological wizardry, and you didn't necessarily have to um, approach game design and game mechanics in a different way. I think what's happening now, and, and probably 4K makes this even more important, you've got this incredible visual fidelity. And so the really subtle elements of the world, like you know whether it's grass swaying or whether it's a character's facial expressions, or in this case, Kratos walking backwards in the snow, like Very whatever it yeah. is, you know, like you can see all of these details now. And if you don't sort of, if you don't design for these details in a way that sort of creates a fairly living, breathing, realistically behaving world, you probably, it's probably not good for suspension of disbelief. You know, I think, um, I think that kind of environmental world design and that attention to detail is becoming more and more important as time goes on. I I, I think I agree with that as well. Um, I think it's less gradual than that, though. I we we aren't gradually getting better graphics. We're we're getting graphics in in steps. It seems we're we're getting better and in, in better in steps. And I think there will be a point where just the next step does not look different. Uh, and it seems soon. It seems like 4K versus 8K. Have you seen an 8K television? No, I haven't. I, I saw one in, in college when they were crazy new. And I didn't have the heart to tell all the excited people around me. Just like, <laughs> I do not see a difference between yeah, these two TVs. Yeah. 
Um, yeah, 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 absolutely. That's right. And I mean, I think, you know, I sort of feel like, especially coming from, if you, depends how long your, how wide your lens is, I guess, you know, like if, if you come from, if you think about the 8-bit era all the way to now, really the, in this generation, even the last generation, things have, you know, models are better animated. They've become a bit smoother. The textures are higher resolution, blah, blah, blah. The lighting's better. That's great. Um, I feel like one of the big things that's changing now, because God of War runs quite well on a standard PS4, you know, so yeah. it's not working with the most cutting edge hardware, but I think what's getting better and better is the the combination of like of design and execution, art design and art execution in games. Um, it, it's that it's the software side really that's driving a lot of that change. Um, you know, whenever Sony puts out a PS5, regardless of how much more powerful it is, I don't think that's automatically going to be necessarily a big catalyst for like a big generational leap in video game design i think i think they know, know that it, too i think that's why we've seen the four pro and the xbox yeah One X. yeah absolutely yep i'm seeing a and lot why of people, these generations um, will probably get longer i'm seeing a lot of people expect to seeing or expecting to see the ps5 at this e3 not not actually coming out this year maybe but a confirmation yeah what do you think about that? Mm-hmm. How likely do you think that is? Look, it's possible. I mean, it, I guess it depends when they want to launch. If if they want to launch, the earliest I've seen in terms of speculation is 2019. Yeah. I I honestly I would be surprised. If I was Sony, I wouldn't be talking about PS5 this year. I wouldn't be looking to launch next year. Um personally, if I were the CEO of Sony, I reckon I'd be looking at earliest 2020, maybe somewhere between 2020 and 2021 or 22. Um, I just, I don't think there is a really great reason for rushing to introduce new hardware, especially if the new hardware doesn't give you the inherent backwards compatibility with PS4 software. That I, I just think there's kind of been this boom and bust model in the console space forever. And as games and console development get more and more expensive, it's higher and higher risk to keep doing that. It's not a smart strategy anymore. So it, it makes me wonder what the PS5 will actually be, as in, will it follow the same basic architecture, but be... You know, will it benefit from a lot of the, you know, a lot of the same sort of technology being much cheaper and smaller and all the rest of it, um, rather than a big architectural change? Um, I I was, I'm I'm even wondering if the next PlayStation is, you know, they might call it PS5, but is it effectively just, you know, PS4 architecture that's um, you know, that's faster and more powerful. Like, yeah, that's a good thought, you know, and a lot of people don't like that idea, but I, I sort of see that as the most like sensible and logical way to move forward. Um, 
the fact that you get this this more powerful machine that run that might run new games that your PS4 doesn't run, but you can bring your whole PS4 library over to this new thing. I mean, surely that's going to be give you a much bigger reason to invest in in new hardware. It it might just be a problem of like branding because yeah when yeah. the when the Xbox 1 and PS4 came out in 2013 the PS3 and Xbox 360 were so old they felt yeah. so old they were 2000 uh 2005 for 360 yep and that's 8 years later that's so old <laughs> Uh, like it is, it, it was almost embarrassing at that point, like how how stuck to the past the gaming industry was. Where now, even if it, even if it has been five years since the PS4 and Xbox One, and it is coming on five years at the end of this year, I uh, they just don't feel that old. They they don't no. feel unserviceably old. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, I think that's going to be the show this week. Thank you for listening, and thank you for uh, being on with me, as always, James. If you want to write into the show, uh, and you can do so for a variety of reasons, you might just want to correct us on something, you might want to ask us a question, uh, you might be read on the show if you just have a thought that you want to share, you can write to us at podcast at superjumpmagazine.com. That's podcast at superjumpmagazine.com. If you didn't catch the last episode, you might be confused because that's not the email address we previously had. Please use this one. It is new. Podcast at superjumpmagazine.com. Now, let's talk about our after-school activities. This is the part of the show where we talk about the, uh, the various... Things we would like to recommend for the listener to partake in in between Super Jump Podcast episodes. Because the Super Jump Podcast only comes out once every two weeks. You can do this maybe in the uh, in-between weeks. So James, what's yours? Um, mine is the, the aforementioned um, Satoru Iwata GDC 2005 keynote. Um, it's broken up into parts on YouTube. Um, there are a few different people who host it, but we'll put a link uh, for the one that I was watching this morning. And, you know, it's just, it's, it's, if you haven't seen it and you're interested in Nintendo and their kind of, their inner workings and how they think about game design in general um, and how they think about innovation in general in gaming, this is a good one to watch. Great. Yeah, that sounds exciting. Uh, mine is probably not too surprising i just like the xbox game pass if you have an xbox one get this game pass i'm not a paid person (laughs) i wish i was i would do it microsoft (laughs) by the way um but wink wink yeah it's just a really good product there's so many um it's not just xbox one games by the way they they put in a lot of the backwards compatible original xbox and Mm. xbox 360 games in as well so um if you've heard from like a bunch of people recently talking about one of the old xbox 360 classics like mass effect or bioshock and you happen to be one of those people that just you never got around to them this is the time they're for free right now for free that's so free 
that is so few dollars to spend. Um, yeah. So, well, I guess it's it's ten dollars a month, <laughs> but you can play a lot of games in a month. Uh, and I have yeah, been playing definitely. a lot of games per month thanks to Game Pass. So that is my after school activity this week. By the way, we gave this announcement out last time uh, as well, but just in case you missed it, again, our E3 Media Pass was approved. We're definitely going to E3, and that's coming up in just... Oh my god, James, it's only two months. It's scary. That Where did the time go? <laughs> I know. Because this show... Felt like we were just talking about last year's E3. Yeah, this show was born out of uh, covering last year's E3. Yeah, and now yeah. it's just another one. We're already coming up on our first birthday. Um, Very exciting. This is all to say, if you want us to cover a specific thing in E3, if you've always been curious about how this thing in E3 works, or or whatever, or uh, you're an exci- you're excited about a specific game, send that into podcast at superjumpmagazine dot com, and we will cater our coverage of the show to our listeners. Uh, the theme song of this podcast was battle against a clueless foe it's by shane Meza off of his soundtrack to mother four remember to subscribe wherever you can review us wherever you can and if you can tell a friend and until next time stay super